Hello and welcome to Essential Wisdom, Inspiring Future Female Physicians. My name is Carrie DeBeau and I'm a fourth year medical student at the Frank H. Netter MD School of Medicine at Quinnipiac University. I'm so excited that you decided to tune in for this episode on Thursday of Essential Wisdom. Today is a bit of a unique episode. Uh, It's been an exciting one to record, and I'm thrilled to share it with you. This is a conversation with Catherine Valencourt, who is a fellow fourth-year medical student at the Netter School of Medicine. You'll hear us discuss some of the challenges and benefits of your third year of medical school, as well as some advice that comes along with what it takes to get to this point. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. If you hear some birds tweeting in the background, that is real. Um, We recorded on a bright sunny day, so consider that a little bit of extra happiness on top of our episode today. Thanks, everyone. Catherine, welcome to Essential Wisdom. Thank you. The way that I like to begin these conversations is just to ask you to tell us about your path to becoming a female physician slash medical student. Okay, so I... Uh, before going to college, didn't really know that I wanted to be a doctor. I had sort of a, an idea um, that that might be something I was interested in, but actually um, for a long time, I thought I was going to be a chef. Um, yeah. And so I, then I got to college and I decided that um, I would sort of work on the pre-med stuff. And um, ultimately I ended up doing a history degree um, at a liberal arts college in um, central Michigan, Alma College. Um, And after that, I had a lot of opportunities uh, during college and at the end of college to uh, go abroad and experience medicine in a lot of different countries. And when I got to Quinnipiac, um, having gone through all of those experiences, it was pretty clear to me that medical uh, life as a physician and um, just being with people in these very vulnerable moments of illness and uh, health and well-being um, was the place that I needed to be. And so now at Quinnipiac, it's just been mostly figuring out what type of doctor I wanted to be. And I've gone through a lot of iterations of that, as I think many (laughs) medical students do. Um, Even though at the beginning, I was totally convinced that I would not be the student that changed her mind all the time. So that's me. I love that. Um, Can you talk a little bit about your experience in college when you decided to study history and then how you became into the pre-med path? Sure. When I um, started college, I was actually starting in the pre-med path. So I decided I would take biology and I just had this sort of side interest of really liking history and being a liberal arts college was Um, conducive to doing something outside of science at the same time as science. Mm. So I decided I would double major. And then after my first semester or so, uh, I realized that the biology degree would require me to do a lot more botany than I was really (laughs) wanting to do. So, uh, but, but the history classes I was taking were really interesting and gave me a lot of time to think about how cultures and societies develop, uh, what mm. are the things that sort of push push people to uh, act and come together and figure out what's important to them. So mm. I decided in the end to drop the biology major. And then with my history major, I was able to organize my schedule such that I could just do the science that I needed to take the MCAT. 
And then I did mm-hmm. other science classes that were interesting to me as electives. Uh, and then worked on my history major, uh, which didn't have a whole lot of requirements. It just had sort of a, a number of credits I needed to get to. And then uh, I had the opportunity to do a thesis in history. So I studied um, a 13th century uh, guy who wrote about uh, Christian and Muslim relations, which was really interesting, actually, and didn't have anything to do with medicine at all. But it really helped me with my research skills uh, and my time management. So uh, on top of being interesting, it it has been really useful. Hmm. So I love this perspective because I think I'll this is a unique interview just because you're currently a medical student and only did this, you know, a few years back. Um, but this, this thought of being, and I think about it often in college being like, well, should I pursue what gets me toward an end goal or should I pursue something that I truly enjoy and find interesting and academically exciting to me, even if it's not related to medicine. And I love that you're speaking about having done that all throughout college. Thank you. Uh, So I definitely don't want to leave out the fact that it was hard. Uh, It was really (laughs) difficult to figure out what I needed to take when and to make sure that I had all of the classes I needed to succeed on the MCAT and to get into medical school because I think um, by sort of mid-college I knew that I really wanted to go to medical school even if I didn't know how that would look. And the other part is that I had a really supportive community So professors Mm -hmm. and my parents, and um, by then I was uh, seriously dating someone who's now my husband, and everyone was just very supportive and very helpful to um, helping me get organized, helping me really discern uh, which classes were important and when, and making choices that um, did include some compromises. So, for example, I didn't take immunology before going to med school. I didn't take uh, biochemistry before taking the MCAT, and those are some compromises I definitely had to make. And I had to learn some of those things sort of in a catch-up fashion. But I think ultimately, I was able to do what I really loved. And I don't think Mm -hmm. uh, doing what you really love has to be to the detriment of uh, the thing that is your ultimate goal. So as I I was kind of alluding to before, my history major has not been useless at all. It's been actually really enlightening and insightful. Uh, I've been able to be more insightful, I think, with my patients. Uh, and with my classmates and I've worked, I think I can work more collaboratively and I can understand different perspectives maybe a little more easily than someone who has never uh, gone through the process of historical research. Absolutely. And, and do you think that as you choose your career now, we were just speaking before we started this call about family medicine, do you think that some of that what you learned as a history major in terms of the collaboration and understanding of perspectives will really uh, play a role in your family medicine career choice? I think they will definitely play a role in my career choice. I think that, uh, so I came to med school thinking I wanted to be an OB. And Mm -hmm. uh, after my OB rotation, which I really enjoyed, I recognized that the time with patients that, uh, I think I would have cut out of my residency application, uh, excuse me, my residency experience was sort of cut short by the time I would have to spend in the OR for that training. And then Mm. in pediatrics, uh, I wasn't, I I thought about pediatrics for a while and I wasn't really uh, getting all of the hands-on type of experiences that I wanted uh, that I might now get with choosing family medicine. And I think uh, if I kind of look back at that 
trajectory, um, family medicine gives me a space to use the skills that I got through my history major, but also uh, I think is conducive to a lifestyle that I'm interested in and that I might um, sort of be able to incorporate more uh, more ti- time spent with doing some historical research or doing some sort of reading on my own or incorporating it into my practice than I would have maybe in another specialty. That's, I mean, exactly what you would dream of when you pick a career is that it can both envelop the things that you have always loved and will continue to love and, and then also meet the priorities that you set in your lifestyle. So um, for the women out there who are in college or medical school, I wonder if you could just talk on some of the things that you think you had to work through besides for the direct aspects of each field. Like what was the process um, of deciding upon your specialty over the last year? That is a, that's a challenging question just because I know. <laughs> <laughs> just because I think uh, it's pretty individual, but um, I do, I do think there's value from uh, hearing about another person's experience and kind of learning from um, taking what you, what you could use from uh, other people. And I've certainly done that from people who have been mentors to me, both women and uh, mm-hmm. men as well. And mm-hmm. So starting out, I think um, the biggest thing I've had to wrestle with has been giving up this idea that I had in my head of how my life would look. And I think that's really scary because you it's really difficult to get into medical school, uh, let alone to go through medical school. And so I think having this sort of ideal at the e- of what things will look like at the end is really satisfying and really um, it helps me re- be really driven, I think. Um, but giving that, giving the, the picture of how things might look at the end, um, sort of giving it up and setting it aside and saying, well, it might not look like this, but I know it's going to be great. And I know I'm going to uh, work towards a goal that's meaningful to me, even if I can't really see all of the, the nitty gritty details right now has been very helpful mm-hmm. and it's taken a lot of time, but, um, after recognizing that um, part of that, uh, part of settling into third and fourth year was uh, taking each each block as it came and ex- really experiencing each specialty has also been very helpful. So it allowed me to really see that I liked surgery and I liked the surgical aspects of OB, but I didn't feel as though I wanted to spend all my time there. And mm-hmm recognizing that I liked labor and delivery and I liked managing uh, patients in pre and postnatal care, but I wanted to do more for them than I was doing in OB. And I think with pediatrics, similarly, I realized that I had the chance to do some of the things that I liked about OB and some of the things I wasn't, uh, wasn't able to do in OB but I still wasn't sort of fulfilling all of the things that I was hoping for, like interacting with people who had a lot of life experience, the elderly, for example, or mm-hmm. getting to do a lot of procedures, which I find really satisfying and really um, technically challenging, but not having to spend a lot of time in the OR. So I think ultimately sort of finding your niche uh, and recognizing that <laughs> the like millennial statement of you do you is 
I mean, it's kind of true. It's so cliche and it's kind of weird and it, it just, it doesn't roll off the tongue, but it's actually really, it's really helpful to kind of remember that, that I have to do what I am called to do. And in doing so, I will be able to contribute to the field of medicine and to um, hopefully make my patient's lives a little better. Mm. That's so good. And uh, what you said in the beginning that you had to basically abandon exactly what you were planning your life to be. That speaks so strongly into my personal experience. And I'm sure the experience of so many other people, especially as you transition to being like a third year, you know, and, and you go into a rotation and, and you sit and you say, well, this is the one I want to do. And then, well, what if that changes by the end of the rotation? So I don't know. I just think that's a really important point that you made that in the process, you have to really be open to saying, I'm going to wind up chasing the path that I need to chase and maybe not even chasing, maybe letting the path find me. But in the same time, I have to be able to give up what I may have imagined was going to be like the perfect plan. Yes. Perfect plans are not very helpful and they really raise a lot of anxiety. (laughs) They don't exist. (laughs) Correct. They don't exist. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they don't exist. It. Yeah. But, I love it. but, but true. I mean, I would start every rotation. For example, my first, my first third year rotation was surgery and I got there and it was four thirty, five o'clock in the morning and I was so tired and I was, but I was seeing patients and I loved seeing the patients early in the morning. They were always so happy that you were checking on them and you got to see um, their progression after surgery and before and after surgery and kind of see their wounds heal literally and the place where you cut them open you could see their insides in the OR and I thought for a second you know wow this is actually really great and then sort of letting that feeling wash over you is hard because it it's scary to think that oh my goodness maybe this two these uh two weeks I've had so far and my six weeks of surgery might change my whole life um but then recognizing that just because you like something doesn't mean it has to be what you do forever. You can like something for that rotation and not have to commit to it. And that's, uh, I would actually say that's really a privilege about medical school is you get to try a little mm-hmm. bit of everything and learn a lot about yourself in the process. This is so key, like learning about yourself, especially, I mean, this is every single year of medical school, right? First year, second year, third year. And then, you know, you and I will have to find out how we learn about ourselves fourth year. But I think that in third year, especially you, you learn things that you didn't even know about yourself because you've never been in these types of situations where you're working so many hours, you're up early, you're up late, you're up all night. Um, Yes. I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about being a third year medical student, especially since I this kind of aimed towards in our conversation, people that are in college who might be wondering like, Oh, well, what do you really do third year? Do you, do you, are you willing to talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Third year was by far one of the most difficult yet rewarding times of medical school <laughs> because I spent so much time commuting to and from hospitals all throughout Connecticut, which is pretty cool. You get to see a lot of the state, but it's also a lot of driving uh, and you, I also spent so much time, uh, like running around hospitals, completely lost, having to ask random strangers for directions. Sometimes those strangers were even patients, you know? So <laughs> I'm not ashamed, I'm not ashamed to say that. I think patients are actually, um, one of our best teachers in third year. So I think um, for those of you who don't really know what medical school is all about, you spend your first two years mostly in the classroom, 
you do a lot of uh, book learning, you do a lot of PowerPoints, and you take a lot of multiple choice tests. And then in third year, you get a chance to go through the different sort of mainstream parts of medicine, and you try out six, four to six week uh, sort of um, mini sessions in each of those areas. And you really get to act, you really get to act like um, a junior doctor in a lot of those rotations in some way or shape or form. So you get to see patients, you get to think about how you might take care of them, you get to propose ideas. And sometimes your ideas are right and sometimes they're totally wrong, but that's part mm. of the process. And then you actually do get to start counseling patients. So you get to start talking to them about what their lab tests mean and how that might affect their life going forward and how they should take their medication and uh, how they should um, follow up with you or with someone else. Um, and I think that uh, you're really just imbued in each of those uh, specialties. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, really, it's really satisfying and it's, it can be um, overwhelming and it can be um, sort of thankless at some times because you do a lot of work that no one else wants to do. <laughs> but it's also really mm -hmm. fun. I think, I think one of the best parts of third year is recognizing that all this time that you've spent sort of leading up through college and through your first and second years of medical school and perhaps in your gap year or gap years or previous career, all of that time has been spent sort of making you into the person you are and making you a very capable person to take care of patients. And so you really learn, um, you really learn, uh, the, the skills that you have and the things that you need to work on. And it's really exciting because patients are really fun to be around. And most, most doctors are also really fun to be around. In your experience of this year, was there anything that was particularly challenging because of your position as being a female? Uh, I think the, the thing that came to mind first is yeah, sometimes I was the only girl around. And that can be challenging just because um, not all females feel like they automatically fit in with a group of guys. Mm -hmm. um, and just, I think for a lot of girls, you know, you don't, we have a lot of questions, I think, about, like, well, am I going to be a good doctor because what if I get too emotional about my patients or what if I uh, can't um, separate my work life from my home life and then I can't uh, be with my spouse or my partner or I can't spend time with my siblings or my kids or can I even have kids? And I think the other thing that's that was challenging about third year being a female is um, just trying to figure out uh, how I am going to fit into this world that has been male dominated, this world of medicine. I mean, not to say that the rest of the world hasn't been male dominated, but this particular, in particular, this world of medicine that's been male dominated and really kind of going in blind and not necessarily knowing very much about the pay discrepancies and the fact that uh, men are promoted more often than women and the fact that most hospitals are run by men and the fact that mm -hmm. um, a lot of hospital departments are run by men, as you know very well. Um, yep. So I think that was particularly challenging. And I think also um, kind of going back to what I said before, sometimes being the only female in the room um, 
also that just sort of lends itself to not having a lot of female mentors to kind of um, look up to, which I think is why this project has been so helpful for me is kind of hearing what other women have done and how they've uh, coped with that. Mm -hmm. Do you think that part of that difficulty lies in just not having somebody to emulate? You know? Yes. Yeah, I think I think in part it does lie in have not having someone to emulate. Um, I think that our school in particular, Quinnipiac, does a very good job of um, mm. having a balanced faculty and a balanced um, pool of of uh, doctors that teach us in clinical yeah. settings, and that's been useful. Um, and I also think that as our society and our culture becomes more aware of these um, issues that. Uh, of inequality between men and women that that's been helpful as well. Hmm. Third year really in many ways, each experience is so formative that it can impact your impression of the field. And I, I think that's for good or for bad in a way. I would agree. I think that where your placement is, is not uh, always up to you and might not always be the one you hoped for. And that can really um, give you uh, a difficult impression of that specialty or a really great impression of that specialty. But and I think I've talked to some of our classmates about that. And I think a lot of them, uh, a lot of people who I've talked to really struggle with saying, well, I don't know that I really got a good sense of Mm. of family medicine, for example, or that I got a really good sense of pediatrics because I didn't have the placement that I thought was uh, the best. And so I think that as a third year, something that you can think about is, did I get a good look at the specialty? And if I did, okay, do I have enough to make a decision about it? And if I didn't, what can I do in my fourth year to make sure that I get the look at the specialty that I need to get? And I think that's where you can go to your your school and the people in your school who who help you plan your rotations or your uh, career advisor or your mentors and say, look, I think I need to have a little bit more time in pediatrics to figure out if I really like pediatrics, which is sort of what happened to me. And Mm. uh, same in family medicine. I didn't necessarily have bad experiences in either, but I didn't feel like I had a well enough rounded experience to make a decision. And so part of the first part of my fourth year was getting a little bit of a rotation in pediatrics and then getting another little bit of a rotation in family so that I could see them again and make a more informed Mm -hmm. decision. So just because I I guess I would advocate don't let uh, one experience um, negatively or positively necessarily um, totally sell you on something. It's, it's okay not to know by the beginning of fourth year and Mm. People decide even in September or even after they submit residency applications and manage to become doctors still. So it's okay. (laughs) That's really important advice. Thank you for sharing that. Just to switch gears a little bit, the Mm -hmm. things that you really enjoy about being a woman that's going to be a doctor that's in medical school, like what are some of the highlights for you? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, Some of the highlights have been, and I think will continue to be, uh, this, the sense that I understand a lot of what all women go through. Uh, Mm -hmm. I understand 
what it's like to um, be a woman who is in a male-dominated field, which a lot of our patients are because a lot of fields are male-dominated. And I also think that, um, for example, I've had patients just like last week, actually, I uh, am in my family, a family medicine rotation right now. And I had a patient disclose uh, domestic violence to me. And she said afterwards she was crying and she was um, sort of kind of giving a sigh of relief at the end of the conversation. And she said, you know, I have a regular doctor, the one you're working with, and I've never told him about that. And I've known him for years. And I just sort of looked at her in surprise. And she said, I told you because you're a woman. Because I feel like a woman can understand me and won't judge me. And so I think uh, I didn't I don't think I even realized that I was in that position until last week. But I'm so excited to be there for other women in that in that position, because uh, and I I don't know what that's like, but I know that I can uh, walk along with someone in that experience and do my best to um, help them with whatever they need and make sure that they're healthy. And it was just a real, it was really eye opening and really special. Wow. I can't even imagine as a fourth year medical student. That's amazing. It was, it was very surprising and I, I was not expecting it. Um, so I really had to use a lot of my, a lot of the things (laughs) that I'd learned in third year to make sure that I didn't show that surprise on my face. Um, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, but it was, it was, it was impressive and it was really, um, mm. it was, a, it was a privilege. It's beautiful. In terms of how you set priorities, what's the, what's the process for you of deciding, Oh, well, you know, right now it's career first and then what will it be, et cetera. I think my process is, uh, always changing. I don't, I, I think that the, the way I would describe my process is, uh, iterative. So just, uh, always reevaluating my priorities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't mean to say that I'm obsessive about them because I think that could really get in your way as well. But mm-hmm. I think just always um, holding in the back of your mind that you have to be flexible and you might have to change because as we were saying before, things don't always go the way you plan. And sometimes you're scheduled to work for certain hours and you end up staying longer or you end up staying a shorter amount of time and trying to realize that the people in your life who are supporting you through the medical school process understand that. Mm -hmm. And um, they especially can understand it if you talk to them about it. And so Mm -hmm. that communication has really been key to setting my priorities as well with my husband and with my parents and um, even just with friends and other people like even just between the two of us, we've had to really communicate about, well, what are the times when we can spend more time together as friends and what are the times when we can um, do things with our other friends as groups? And I think uh, on top of that, recognizing that my priorities are different than someone else's has been helpful. Just because people ask things of me like, uh, do you want to you know, go to this party or do you want to go out to dinner or do you want to go to the beach for the weekend? Like I can't always say yes to those things and that's okay. And Mm -hmm. no one remembering that no one thinks less of you because you have to choose your priorities that are right for you. Yes. 
And so I think that's been, that's been really helpful. And I think it's also um, when you can talk to your friends about it and sort of work through some of the things that you, when you don't know how to set your priorities is, is really exciting too, because we're all going through the same thing together. Yeah. I want to piggyback on one of the things you said specifically uh, that we, in the process of communicating, we also have to make an effort, a concerted effort to say, okay, when are we going to actually spend time being friends and not talking about school or, you know, all these things. And I think it's something that's like laughable when you think about it from an outside perspective of like, are you serious? You plan time to be like a friend. But when you're so crazy trying to figure out third year, fourth year, what you're doing next, um, it's easy to really forget how to spend time just being friends. Yeah, I just wanted to spend a moment talking about that process of scheduling time to be friends and how important that was to our own development. Yes, I think that has been critical um, for both of us and then uh, just for other <laughs> friends we have too. I think um, just like in any other profession that's demanding, if you don't try you're not going to end up with any friends in your life because they're all going to be busy doing their thing. You're going to be busy doing your thing and you're not going to remember each other. So um, I think that making time uh, to be friends is critical. And I think recognizing that it's going to ebb and flow and that that's totally normal. Like, honestly, (laughs) In psych, when we were doing our psych rotation, we could spend like hours together every week. And, <laughs> and that's not to say that psych was easy because it wasn't. Uh, it was not. But it was not. But it is to say that different times uh, call for different uh, amounts of of uh, friend time. So. Just to piggyback again, because you keep saying things that I'm like, oh, yes, this is an important point for a college student or a medical student. Um, What defines the ease of a rotation is not necessarily the same for everyone. Definitely. That is absolutely true. So (laughs) different rotations um, for people who might not um, totally have a good grasp on this is uh, different rotations have different requirements. And it's different at every med school, which is super helpful for all of us, I know. Um, but most most of them have some, some similarities in that. You have to do uh, some sort of test at the end of many of them. You have to do, like, you have to be capable in the clinical setting. So you'll get some sort of evaluation from the people that you work with. And then you have to be able to um, show that you're acting in a professional manner. And mm-hmm. so you have those sorts of sort of like three main categories and there may be like a fourth where you have to do a presentation or you have to do a, um, a practice patient and you're graded on your notes or something. Um, but ultimately each of them have different time requirements. Each of them have different shift requirements. Each of them have different commute requirements. Each of them have different styles of teaching and each, each of them have different types of patients. And some of those are easy for you and some of them are harder and it's different for everyone. And I think uh, that also speaks to how uh, you study in med school. And I think it just is, it's just a continuation of how you study in third year from how you study in first and second year. And it, it has to be very individualized and you have to figure it out. It's not something that necessarily is super obvious. And so you can ask for all the advice you want, but ultimately you have to uh, figure out what works for you and stick to it. So for example, I know 
uh, a lot of our classmates spend a lot of time um, doing like a bunch of practice questions before our third and fourth year exams. And I would say that practice questions for me are more like 50% of what I do to study. And that's fine. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you bring up an important point to say that um, how you study is not only a reflection of, you know, knowing yourself at the time, but it's an understanding of who you are as a student over time, like how you studied in college. Can you bring elements of that into what you do now or how you studied in first and second year? How much of that can you bring into what you're doing now? Because really, like as a human being, you're such a culmination of all of your experiences. And each of those, because is exactly what we we're saying in the beginning too, but each of those makes you so much better. So then use all of that understanding of yourself and how you succeed to enhance the way that you perform during each of your rotations. Right. And it, it's really cool to see how that sort of changes and get and takes form over time. And it's, it's nice to see in your classmates also, cause you can learn from each other and you can also, th this is something to ask your mentor about too. So uh, I know I've gotten some really great advice about um, not taking tons of notes and um, not reading this textbook, but reading that textbook and, um, or not reading a certain textbook at all and studying from some something else or some online source. And that's been really, really helpful and really um, uh, nice to just kind of see that, um, okay, I've made it this far and I, I kind of have an idea of how to do this and I'm, I'm still able to work and figure things out as I go along. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I don't have to know all at the beginning. Yeah. Yes, yes. And what you're saying, too, is third year and fourth year are like the years of like information overload. Like here's these 25 textbooks you can use. We have three online resources. You got videos you can watch. Like, wow, how lucky are we to be in this generation of medicine where we have so many resources, but also yeah. like know what worked for you so that you are confident in using that resource for yourself. And don't second guess it, because like you're saying, you are you and nobody else can define how you need to study. So yes, it's and it's information overload. <laughs> it's a totally new thing also to realize that you're not going to know everything. A lot of us who went to, uh, who went yeah. to college <laughs> and studied science were able to study everything before the test, get through all the notes and get through all of the book chapters that we needed to get through and uh, get through all the practice tests that the, the teacher handed out. And uh, that is not the case in med school ever. So yes. it's very uncomfortable at first, but by the end, uh, it's a little less uncomfortable and it's, um, it's kind of liberating as well, because when you're, you realize when you're a real doctor, like you're going to be able to look things up. And so knowing that you don't, knowing when you don't know is just as important as knowing when you know. Mm. Yeah, that's, that comes in handy, even in clinical rotations. I mean, really in clinical For rotations, sure. when you're, when you're sitting and thinking about a patient, just ask a question if you don't know, you know, don't sit right. and be like, man, I should have known. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Just ask. If you could give one piece of advice to somebody who's in college preparing for medical school, what would it be? The best advice that I could give is to find something that makes you excited about going into medicine and find something that you feel passionate about and use that to help you 
get to where you want to go. So I would say for me, that was realizing that I was really interested in delivering babies. I thought that that was the coolest thing in the world. And I was going to spend the rest of my life doing that. And now I'm not, I may deliver babies as a family medicine doc, but who knows? And it doesn't matter that I've had to change my mind. What matters is that uh, I learned that about myself and I really leveraged it to, uh, to show how interested I was in being in medicine and to kind of stand out because there are so many great people applying to medical school that um, it is scary about whether or not you might get in or not get in or have to apply multiple times. And that happens to tons of really great students. And so it's nothing to be ashamed about. And so just continuing to remember, I have things that I'm passionate about. I have things that make me interesting and I'm going to keep working at it until I achieve the goals that I want, I think is the best advice. Oh, and just the other part of that advice is that you can't do that on your own. You have to really find who supports you in doing that and lean on them and ask for help. So for me, that was my parents, um, my husband and his family and uh, my professors and my friends at college. And I think people have different sources for that, uh, for that, um, support. And I think just figuring out who that is for you. Um, and it doesn't have to be anyone that knows anything about medical school. I mean, I think you should have one or two of those people because that's useful, but ultimately anyone who makes you feel great about being you is just really helpful to lean on. Mm. I love the sentiment that let your passion drive you, but if your passion changes, it's okay. Definitely. Yes. And that's so important for everybody that even like you just said, you know, getting into medical school is its own process, you know, and that is not what this podcast is about today, but getting into medical school itself, if, if it doesn't work out the first time, you know, the smart way that we all go about our applications and our process of life is to sit back and reevaluate, you know, look at what you're doing and look at what you want to do and then look at it with a fresh eye and just say, okay, what are, what are my passions and how do I let those drive me and how does that direct my goal? Definitely. So, and well, realizing that. that you don't have to take a straight path. I mean, it, I think from what we've said so far, people might get the impression that my path to med school was extremely straight. And I would say that it is traditional. I went to college and then I went to med school. I didn't take a gap year. But in between, there were a lot of things where my path was kind of crooked and I kind of had to go around speed bumps and I had to uh, go through challenges. And I'm certain that other people have had a more difficult time or a, a time that had more of those speed bumps or sidesteps or challenges, but everyone has those things that they go through. So don't let that get you down. Mm. And, and on that fact, when you tell your story, what, if you're an, as an applicant or just as a human being to your friends, the, the this is something I've learned throughout my process too, just to be proud of each of the steps that you took. And that will, above all, that will make you a complete applicant or person or doctor. So that, yes. because you understand and appreciate, appreciate what you've done, you know? Yes. And that's what I've heard uh, continuing into third and fourth year when people have said, uh, this is the best advice I can give to you for getting into residency that you want uh, or getting into the job that you want at the end of residency is just be who you are and uh, let that shine through in your applications and make sure that um, people really know who you are for uh, 
for those things because that's what makes you you and you have to go through life like that so I know Mm -hmm. it maybe it it just sounds super simplistic but it's true Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no and and to let that element of who you are um not be deterred by the process of hitting the checkpoint yes because we have a lot of checkpoints we hit you know you so many checkpoints I have to get through undergrad you're like okay I got this thing whether it's a bachelor's of science or a bachelor's in some other thing get your degree right you get through undergrad and then you're like oh no I have to take the MCAT and then you're like oh no I have to complete these applications I have to get letters of recommendation I have to do these things and to be honest with you and I don't want to sound like dark gloomy human over here but the checkpoints don't really ever go away in the process and, and action of being a doctor because we'll always be checking boxes that says hey I'm fulfilling you know, the requirements to see this number of patients or to take my boards on time and all these things. Like, they don't yep. go away. Um, but what we do in this process of growth is become more aware of how to still be ourselves in, like, a linear manner while hitting the checkpoints. So just not to let your personal story get lost in that, too, you know. Right. And yeah. I, I think the other thing I've learned sort of moving from third year into fourth year that goes along with this process is – uh, there are other people out there in the world who you will find that are just your people. And mm-hmm. I was told that multiple times by different uh, different mentors and different um, people in medicine. And I was like, wow, that is so corny. I, yeah, right. And then I got in, I did my family medicine rotation. And I thought, wow. I really like this. And then I am doing another family medicine rotation now. And I was, I realized the other day, I think I found my people. And yes. so I think, I think that it's really helpful to know that you will find what you need to find and you will find who you need to find. And it's, it's a really exciting process and you just have to kind of mm. ease into it and know that, um, things will come together. Mm-hmm. Trust your instincts. Yes. Trust your instincts. Yes. I think we should just wrap it up there. I think this has been such an enlightening conversation. I really hope it has a lot of good advice for people who are anticipating their career um, or their path into medical school. So thank you, Catherine, for coming on, for sharing all of your thoughts and um, your heartfelt experiences. It's been really wonderful. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun. Thank you so much, Catherine, for coming to share your heart, your story, and your advice on essential wisdom inspiring future female physicians. I really enjoyed having this conversation, this time to reflect on what it was like to be a first, second, and third year medical student from the perspective of midway through our fourth year. So I just really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me and to share all that you did with the listeners. And to the listeners out there, thank you for continuing to tune in. It's been so wonderful to share the stories of so many marvelous women. And I hope that you are not only enjoying, but just benefiting from this as much as I am. So I hope that you guys have a great week and are able to tune in with us next week for two more installments of Essential Wisdom.